Sometimes, you know, the agency might say, like, we need to build this this way and it's going to take this much longer. And you've only got to have a small amount of knowledge to understand, is that actually feasible or could there be another approach and you can suggest it? So, yeah, it really, really helped having that coding knowledge. Welcome to The Wagon Live. Tonight, we've got Ant Milner speaking to us, growth specialist and product manager for Depop. Ant is also an entrepreneur. Back in 2015, he co-founded grabagardener.com, an on-demand marketplace tech startup that connects local customers to highly vetted gardeners. Graduating with a master's degree in engineering, he has a wealth of varied experience, from working with software and technology to now product management. Depop itself was founded in 2011 by entrepreneur Simon Beckerman. Its headquarters moved to London in 2012, and since growing to over 18 million users in 147 countries, it's now expanded and opened additional offices in Milan, LA and New York. Depop is a revolutionary fashion marketplace for customers to buy, sell and discover millions of unique items from street rare to vintage to luxury fashion. They hold an important place in the sustainable market, moving towards a responsible way of consuming. Keep listening to learn more about him. Thanks very much for having me. A uh, massive fan of what The Wagon is doing. Um, as you'll see, like I'm a hobbyist software developer anyway. And I just think it's really, really awesome. And I think more and more people should be getting into it. So. I'm really happy to be able to come and talk here today. Um, so yeah, my background, um, started off, where do I start? I did a degree in geology, randomly, unrelated to most things. Um, and then following on from that, I kind of decided that I wasn't, oh, that was okay, but I kind of wanted to get into software. And so I thought one of the ways I could do that would be to transition into the oil industry. So I did a master's in petroleum engineering, and that really exposed me to yeah, a lot more kind of maths, physics, science, chemistry-based things and, and software ultimately. So yeah, following my master's, I was able to get an internship at a company called Slumberger, which is um, an oil field services company. And what they do is kind of build the industry-leading reservoir simulation software. What that means is it's basically like a big 3D modeling software of an oil reservoir, and it helps you calculate how much oil you're gonna produce. And so they have, you know, hundreds, thousands of developers. And I was working there for six years, um, going through like all kinds of software roles, starting on kind of working on the help desk, helping all of our customers interact and use the software, then going through what they call commercialization, which is basically like the software development lifecycle, building the software, QA, um, some product roles, um, yeah, like everything really. And then I kind of transitioned into a manager role in my in my last year and I was managing the, the global help desk there. Then I I was enjoying that, but I felt I'd always kind of wanted to start my own business, I guess. And it was in 2015 when I basically we identified a, a bit of a gap in the market for uh, a gardening on demand business, basically. And it was because I couldn't find a gardener. So I felt like I had enough software experience by that time to probably build an MVP and kind of trial this. So we we launched Grab a Gardener. I ran that business for yeah over over four years, um, scaled it, and so it was operating right across the UK. Um, and then yeah, essentially that that business wasn't growing as much as we wanted to and wanted it to. So I decided to go into the area that I was most passionate about, which was building the product. Um, building the technology behind Grammar Gardener. And so, yeah, I applied for a product manager job at Depop. The growth PM seemed like a really good fit for me, given um, it's quite a commercially uh, commercial role. 
uh, given my background. And yeah, I was lucky enough to get that job. And now I've been at Depop for 12 months and yeah, really enjoying it. Wow, that's amazing. So um, would you say that you're a self-taught coder or did you learn all of that during your master's degree? I didn't actually do any coding during my master's. Um, unfortunately, as I was saying, like, if I could go back and do it again, I think I definitely would have done computer science at school mm -hmm. and at uni, definitely. Like, I've always been pretty, pretty good with computers. Um, and it's just something that I've always wanted to do. So I actually started learning to code around about the time I was thinking about founding uh, Grab a Gardener. Um, one, because I knew I was going to have to build a website initially. Um, and I thought I was always going to have to out outsource the build, essentially. And I just want to have a sufficient amount of experience that, you know, uh, whoever you're outsourcing the build to is not going to kind of pull the wool over your eyes. Just kind of have an under basic understanding of how things are going to work. So I started, you know, I've done quite a few Udemy courses, basically. The main one I would say that where I've learned the most is the PHP full stack web development course. So it covers HTML, CSS, uh, JavaScript, Bootstrap, MySQL, and PHP, and you build um, a content management system. Um, I've also done some, yeah, quite a lot of Swift development and built a few apps. I've done a bit of Python with machine learning, but I don't get to do it regularly enough. So straight away, if I don't code for like a month or whatever, then I'll forget a lot of the things um, that I've learned. So I try and find as much time as I can to code in my spare time. Um, but I just, I really enjoy it. I'd say it's probably one of my biggest hobbies to be honest. And I think like, I think one of the most difficult things about purely online learning, especially when you're not in a class, watching videos, for example, is that you don't, you don't have your classmates. So when you get stuck on a problem, you can go on Stack Overflow or whatever, but you kind of, <laughs> you've only got yourself and the video that you can rewatch, but you don't have people to go to. So I think that's one of the massive values around an in-person course um, is that, you know, you're all there, you're all together. I think you're going to learn a lot, a lot more ultimately that way. Did you do in-person courses as well? I didn't, unfortunately. I think, I think I would have liked to. I definitely considered it a lot of times um, during Grab a Gardener, after Grab a Gardener, but I, I never really saw myself possibly doing it like as a full-time job being a developer. I'm, I'm more like, I love product, I love technology, but I'm probably more focused on the commercial side. So that's why I think kind of a product manager just seemed a better fit, to be honest. Yeah, that makes sense. And I mean, now you have a great job um, as a growth-focused product manager. Can you tell us a bit more about that role and how it's different also to a normal product manager? Yeah, so I think uh, it's, it's a really good role. I think it will largely vary um, depending on what type of business you're in. Um, I think one of the main things about a growth PM is that rather than owning like a, a specific area of the product or, or service that you're working for, so for example, in Depop, we have like uh, buyer's team, seller's team, trust, fulfillment, payments, all these things. And they own kind of specific domains, whereas growth PMs are normally much more focused on meeting a specific business metric um, or like a business commercial goal. Um, in our case, I'm super focused on the new user experience. So brand new users that come into the app. The way that we think about this at Depop is using the Pirate R funnel, uh, awareness, acquisition, activation, retention, uh, revenue and referral, which is basically the, the user journey you go through. And given that Depop is massively a, a scale-up company, um, we've decided the growth PM will be much more focused on this top of funnel area. So really looking at new users, increasing the number of users that can sign up to Depop, um, improving the conversion rate of those users. I think 
one of the other main things about a, a growth PM, like if you think about where it originates from, which is kind of this growth hacking term, growth marketing, which is like any quick and dirty way where you're running experiments and trying to acquire customers for cheap. Um, that's where it's kind of evolved from and it's really picked up over the last five years. And I think one of the main things is that you're very experimentation focused. So a large part of the role is all around this build, measure, learn product cycle, um, doing that as quickly as you can, identifying key hypotheses that are fixing problems for the business. And then, yeah, just basically continuing to iterate on these towards the North Star metric that you have, running a lot of experiments, doubling down on the ones that work. And that's kind of a big part of the role, I'd say. So we've done a bit of a poll with the audience down here to see um, if you guys have heard of DeepUp already. And I can see that around half of the audience have heard of it. So awesome. do you think, Ant, you could give us like a really quick um, overview of what the, what the company is and how it's revolutionizing the way we shop as well? Yeah, definitely. So it's, it's basically a shopping marketplace app specializing in pre-loved, you know, secondhand vintage clothes. Uh, we have an extremely vibrant and creative community of users currently sitting at around 18 million users. And the whole idea is that you can buy, sell and discover uh, unique items. It's, it's a super social app. So you can kind of similar to Instagram, you can build up a following um, in order to help you sell stuff on the platform. You can follow other people in order to help you find the things that you like. Um, it's in, yeah, I mean, our core demographic is kind of between 15 to 26. Um, in the UK, probably about a third of people in that range are already signed up to the app. Um, and so, yeah, I think I, the most exciting thing about it is it's just really helping our buyers find these completely unique, super cool, rare pieces that you just cannot get on, on any other platform. And it's helping our sellers um, either make money part-time by kind of clearing out your wardrobe, or there's a lot of people on there who do it um, as a full-time business. So coming from an entrepreneurial background, that's one of the reasons I really love it because we're helping people become entrepreneurs, start a business from their bedroom, run their entire business through the app. Typically what happens is, you know, our sellers will come on, they'll start selling something and they may find a niche that they have, like maybe it's earrings or maybe it's trainers, maybe they take other materials and rework clothes into something that's brand new. and they find this niche and build a following and then they're able to start a business from it. And so that is literally how we're like enabling the, you know, the next generation to transform the, the fashion industry. Yeah. I actually signed up to it yesterday. I've heard about it before, but I never had an account and I got so uh, stuck in it and addicted that I didn't go to sleep until 2am. So <laughs> that was great. <laughs> um, do you know a bit more about the, the startup story of Depop and kind of the growth that it has seen? I know that it, you had a funding round in 2019 that was pretty successful. Yeah, so we closed our Series C last year. Um, yeah, so basically it was, it was founded in 2011 by Simon Beckerman um, uh, in Milan. And it was initially like an app, like a buy-sell marketplace for anything, not just fashion. And it just immediately resonated with this Gen Z population and they you know, they just kind of, it kind of went viral. They were absolutely loving it. They were mostly selling fashion. And so the business took the decision to kind of, you can still buy and sell a lot of things on Depop, but much more focus everything towards, towards fashion. Then, yeah, they moved their offices to London. And because of the strong, like super strong organic growth that it had, that obviously attracted a lot of VC um, interests. So yeah, we, we did our Series C last year. Depop's closed over 100 million 
to date, uh, we've had some really amazing investors. We now have offices in um, LA, New York, London, Milan. We host a lot of in real life events. Like we did Depop Live in New York. We did a Depop Hackney event uh, near our London HQ um, where we get our top sellers to come in. Um, we do partnerships with brands like Ralph Lauren and, and, and V Files where we do runway shows. Um, and yeah, I feel very lucky that I've been able to join at a time when it's gone from this just before we closed the round last year. So it was kind of going from this fast paced startup into like a real enterprise level scale up. So it's been a really exciting journey. Yeah, that sounds great. And during that period of growth, has your team grown as well? I mean, like how many people do you work with? How big is your tech team or your product team, marketing teams? Yeah, the business has doubled in headcount since I've, since I've been there over the last 12 months. Uh, yeah, I mean, the product and engineering teams are more than half the, the business, so about 100, over 100 people. You know, it is completely a technology-first, technology-enabling company. So uh, huge, multiple product teams. Um, within my own team, there's about 14 people. So the kind of setup that I have is I'll have a couple of Android engineers, iOS engineers, um, QA, a couple of back-end engineers, two product designers, um, product analysts, agile delivery manager. So it's a completely broad cross-functional team, which means that, you know, we're, we're basically self-sufficient and we're able to tackle any area of the architecture, any area of the app, solve any problem, ideally. Um, and yeah, I suppose some of the key areas we, we work with in the business are like the CRM team, the marketing team, the brand teams, work closely with influencer and international teams as part of growth. And obviously community experience is involved very heavily as well. Your coding skills and your tech skills are a strong part of your job as well? I think they help. As a product manager, I think it really helps if you're able to. It's not an essential skill, but I, I think it definitely helps. Obviously, your engineers are, are there to do the coding. You never want to suggest, obviously, how they might tackle a problem. But it means that when they're explaining things to you, that perhaps you're, you're going to understand much more easily what they're talking about. And, and pretty much every product manager is going to end up at some point or another working on a really heavy and you know back-end service or some piece of machine learning and if you just have that basic understanding it's going to just enable you, you to do your job much better i would say yeah that makes sense i can see that there's quite a few questions coming in from the audience right now um, I'm just going to suggest that we answer all of them at the end. So guys, if you keep posting questions and we'll go through them and maybe you can pick your favorite ones and we'll do that in like 20 minutes or so. Let's continue maybe with a bit more of a broader view um, of the company as well. Um, do you think Depop creates more sustainable fashion? Absolutely. I mean, sustainability is at the core, I would say, of Depop's ethos. You know, there's some pretty terrifying statistics generally when you look at the sort of damage that can be done by by fast fashion, um, the hundreds of millions of uh, kind of textiles and materials that get sent to landfill and burnt each year. And so Depop is doing a massive amount to, to combat that. Um, I think one of the main things is like since, since 2000, I think the production of clothing has more than doubled and the amount of times that people wear stuff has, has almost halved. So it's about 40% less. So people are wearing things um, a lot less than they used to. So you know, Depop is is massively an advocate and a facilitator of promoting, you know, slow fashion, sustainable, circular fashion, whatever whatever you want to call it. Um, whether that's promoting the sales of like secondhand clothing, reworked clothing, which is where you you take an old item, cut it up, and turn it into something else completely new. We promote small kind of independent. 
designers, uh, which are not fast fashion, fast fashion um, a lot of ethical brands, um, or even if it's the, the small effort of like our London office is completely operates on renewable energy. So it's, it's all of these things. And I, but I think, I think by far, like our greatest achievement is, um, and our biggest, I guess, contribution to sustainability is kind of, we've made secondhand buying cool again. So we've reduced the stigma around thrifting and secondhand items. It's something that our community, our buyers and sellers care deeply about. And so we want to be able to facilitate and help them on that journey as much as possible, I would say. And would you say sustainability also features on, on the goals for 2020 and on your roadmap overall? What does it look like? Yeah, sustainability, as I said, we've, we've recently hired a head of sustainability with the goal of making a, a specific roadmap just, just, just around that. So it's definitely something that we factor into um, the entire business level mission all, all the way down to the product teams. Um, in terms of the general roadmap, um, what we're mostly looking at this year is, so as, as a marketplace, we, we have buyers, we have sellers, and, and we have like a third area of the marketplace which is the inventory of the marketplace. And I think any, any successful marketplace is able to basically, whether it's matching supply and demand, or in the case of e-commerce, matching the inventory that you have um, to the right buyer and matching the right seller to the right buyer. And so we have 140,000 items uploaded from our sellers every day to Depop. So there's you know, tens of millions of items. And we want to make sure that The main focus for this year is improving the discoverability of these items for our buyers. So we're looking at just broadly like improving the search results, in improving the, the quality of the search experience, improving the way that people can browse through items, uh, improving kind of recommendations for users. And on the buyer side, on the seller side, we're um, basically giving them more tools um, to be able to run their businesses more efficiently, you know, be able to promote their shops better so that they can make more sales um, and obviously as growth continuing to grow the user base as well and maybe we can ask one more personal management style question about your role as a product manager how do you manage conflict in your team i'm sure there's conflict um, yeah how do you deal with that yeah i think any, any product manager can deal with conflict not day in day out but frequently as part of your job it can be either sometimes not very often but like internally within the team um Or it can be externally with different stakeholders that you that you might be managing um, who want different pieces of work built. And you obviously, you only have one team, you only have one roadmap, you only have so much time, so you can only prioritize so many different things. And so I think internally within the team, it's interesting because you do sometimes get conflict because every single person in a cross-functional team will bring a completely different skill set um, and a, a completely different perception um, and focus area, whether like designers are obviously really user focused, engineers can be really, um, they're often in my team particularly, they're definitely very user focused, but obviously they have a certain way that they want to try and tackle a problem as well and make sure that they're giving the best solution, both in the code base, but then therefore ultimately to users as well. Um, so I think what my, what I like to do is I, As soon as I hear there's anything like going wrong in the team, I, I always want to tackle it head on. So I'll make sure to go and speak, speak to someone straight away. I think the, the best thing you can do is have a lot of empathy for the situation or for the person. And you have to you know, listen to their point of view and you know, not just hear it, but actually understand it and, and, and relate to it as well. And then think about, yeah, basically what's the best way to resolve it, whether that's putting a new process in place, 
Um, sometimes it can just be chatting to people, but I think you genuinely need to have a lot of empathy and be able to understand another person's point of view. And, and, and just generally in product teams, retrospectives, every, every sprint, at the end of the sprint, you'll have a retro and you'll talk about all of the things that went well, some of the things that didn't go well. These are really, really constructive conversations and it gives a voice to everyone in the team. And it's a time when you can really take action on different things. Um, and, and you've got to make sure that you do action them. So you find out what the what the issues are for people, you action them and make sure that by kind of the next week or two, these things are put in place. Yeah, it sounds like there are a lot of things, um, a lot of like interpersonal skills involved in product managing. Um, thank you for sharing that insight about your, your current job. Can we talk a bit more about the startup you launched, Grab a Gardener? Celine briefly mentioned it before. And I also know that quite a few of the students at Levagon have plans to launch a business as well. So I'm sure they're really interested to hear a bit more about your entrepreneurship story. Um, can you tell us what the mission was when you started Grab a Gardener and, and how you went about doing that? Yeah, sure. So as I mentioned earlier, we, is, uh, so I was with my co-founder, we were living in Reading at the time, so outside of London. And we li like literally couldn't find a gardener. Um, and this, I felt like this was a ridiculous, and I'd never had the issue before that I needed a gardener. And then when I needed one, I couldn't find one. And so we went through all of the ways that you would think is easy to get a gardener, like Yellow Pages or Yell.com, Thompson Local, going through and calling hundreds of gardeners, um, seeing like, when you search into Google, do gardeners have websites? They do, but they're generally like literally HTML websites from the 90s. The contact forms don't work. Um, when you go through yell.com, you, you can call 10 people, like eight of them won't answer the phone. And the ninth one will say, oh, sorry, my business has shut down. And the 10th one will say, oh, sorry, I'm busy till 2021. And so, and so it was really, really difficult. And particularly if you're new to an area, you don't have the local knowledge, the local insight. You haven't got any friends to ask. And so, yeah, as I felt that we'd identified an opportunity here, um, went out, did a lot of market research. That's, that's a really important thing that you need to do. Went and spoke to other people. Um, one of the most embarrassing things, I say embarrassing, just awkward, is I stood outside, literally stood outside B&Q one day with a clipboard, and you can imagine how many people just would do anything not to talk to me. And I was just asking them, like, would you pay for a gardener online? Is that something you would do? Um, and then like just two questions, maybe like how much, how much would you pay per hour or something like that? Just trying to gather, is this a problem that I'm facing or is it a problem that other people are facing? And this is like, gives you some really good insight. After we had done that and thought, yeah, like, I think this is, we've got, this has got some legs basically decided to outsource the build. That was, that was quite a big challenge in finding who is, you know, trustworthy, who can build the vision that you have. Um, and then, yeah, basically we built the MVP over the winter of 2014, uh, launched the business um, in 2015 in March and yeah, ran, ran some ads and got our first order within, within two days, which was amazing. And then it just kind of continued to grow from there. So that, that was kind of how it started basically. That's amazing. So it picked up really quickly. And so just to get that right, because you, you mentioned that you um, got some developers on board to help you build the website. So you didn't actually do the code yourself, but you, through your um, online learning and your experience, you were able to understand what they're doing better. Yeah, exactly. Um, that, that was one of the biggest things. I 
I was extremely hands-on. I did a huge amount of competitor research. I was familiar with the concept of an online marketplace, on-demand services. Um, I basically had a load of wireframes, which I then took to the developers. They then tidied them up and made them better, but I was like, this is my vision. I outsourced all of the third-party applications that we might have needed to integrate with because I didn't really want to leave that responsibility to them because I wanted to do the due diligence myself and make sure that everything was going to like play nicely and, and meet all the requirements of my MVP. Um, and then after we kind of got into the design and build stage, I learned Photoshop and Adobe Illustrator and started like not doing the final designs, but just building like the real vision of what I had and laid out all of the user flows, exactly what I wanted the website to do, how we facilitate payments, how it facilitate um, like the scheduling system and all of that. And yeah, I, I feel like sometimes, yeah, you know, the, the agency might say like, we need to build this this way and it's going to take this much longer. And you've only got to have a small amount of knowledge to understand is that actually feasible or could there be another approach and you can suggest it. So yeah, it really, really helped having that coding knowledge. That's great to know. I think for many of us in the audience or the people in the audience as well, and with Gravel Gardener, you also joined um, Accelerator, right? A PropTech Accelerator called PyLabs based in yeah. London, I believe. Can you tell us a bit more how that was and what you learned there? Yes, that was a really, really amazing experience. Uh, I feel very lucky. Um, they actually approached us in 2017. Um, we raised a small round of uh, seed funding before that, and we they reached out to us and you know this accelerator they only take on four businesses each year um they they get hundreds and hundreds of applicants and we had to go through multiple rounds of, of interviews but ultimately we, we got accepted on the accelerator uh they're a vc as well so invested some money which was great and then yeah you you just you just learn an incredible amount you're stuck with four other uh, businesses that have super like-minded people and during the accelerator they you're in that case we were kind of in three days a week and they would have, they would put on classes, you would learn about product, uh, computer science, sales, marketing, funding. Um, they would bring in CEOs, entrepreneurs, um, product experts, like whoever it was. And each week you would meet new people. And so I think the, the some of the best things that came out of this were like, you meet so many different people and, and Grab a Gardener was kind of like running quite nicely by that stage. We were like really, really busy. It was quite difficult to even find the time sometimes to like focus on the accelerator stuff because we were doing so much with the business. But you you meet a lot of different people who come from a lot of different backgrounds and they give you this insight that you think you know a lot about your business by that time. But when you speak to different people from different backgrounds, you just got so much other insight. Um, so much so in fact that we actually didn't change um, we basically were focusing much more on customers rather than the supply side of the market. And one of the insights we took of that was like different ways we could focus on the supply side and build that up. And so we took that out of the accelerator and changed the website, changed a load of stuff. And that actually really helped us um, grow, grow the business even further. And, and you're going to build an amazing network if you're able to get on the accelerator as well. So, um, yeah, it was a really positive experience. And now the company has existed for five years, right? With the benefit of hindsight, what would you say were the key learnings that you've had? Oh, um, it's hard work, <laughs> like working for yourself. Um, it, is, it is very hard work. Um, you you can't really switch off when you're running your own business. Uh, you don't really get holidays. If you do get holidays, you're not thinking about much apart from the business. Um, but it's, it's the most rewarding thing 
in the world as well. I remember like when the first sale came in for £35, like I was literally buzzing. Like <laughs> I was so excited. And each time, you know, every every incremental improvement customer you get, sale you make, it like it feels like a part of you. So you feel like you feel really like accomplished and i would recommend anyone like it's a really dis- difficult decision to take particularly if you're in like a stable job or you're unsure like there's a lot of uncertainty around any business but um it gives you kind of this sense of you feel liberated and you feel like you can tackle any problem so i mean i learned i learned like an incredible amount i learned a lot about performance marketing um at the height of the business i was managing all of the google ads um, all of the facebook ads um and iterating on these and testing different creatives and managing all of the accounts um a lot about analytics testing um general day-to-day operations finance accounts managing a support desk um a lot of sales whether it was b2c sales like getting new customers on board and it was a subscription-based business as well so um the you know the recurring revenue was a massive part of it so getting customers on board but also kind of the b2b sales where you're getting a business um to sign up to your platform and trying to encourage them around all of the benefits of the business um so i think that's a lot of things i learn i think you learn in my case i learned a huge amount about just marketplaces Uh, depop is obviously a marketplace i love marketplaces and the challenges associated with supply and demand the, the unit economics and understanding lifetime values and acquisition costs and, and how to balance all of these things. Um, so yeah, a lot, a lot of stuff. Great. Thank you. And I can just see right now that we're running a bit out of time. So maybe let's just jump forward to one last question and then we can go into Q and a with all those great questions from the audience. Sure. If you can think about just one mistake that you've made with your startup and that you wouldn't do it again, what would it be? I think, you need to you need to learn from your mistakes very 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 quickly. Don't dwell on them. Don't make them twice. Um, <clears throat> make sure that you move quickly in anything that you do. Think, I mean, think logically about what you do, but move quickly. And and if you ever feel like you need to pivot your business um, as a startup, like cash flow situation is always going to be very volatile. You're only going to have a certain amount of runway. So make sure that you're always doing the most impactful thing that's going to drive as much revenue as possible. Um, I think also like. I'd say always go with your gut feeling. Um, it's, it's amazing to like, when I talk about Pi Labs, meet all of these different people, entrepreneurs, founders, people that are infinitely more successful and have experience in other areas, but people that don't understand your core business or your market will, will make suggestions about things that you should do. And you might start hearing the same thing a lot of time, a lot of times, but just, I would say always go with your gut feeling. You are the expert in your market. No one will know more about your business or your market than you. Uh, don't always make decisions because other people have asked you to just think carefully about what's best for you and what's best for the business i would say that makes total sense great thank you so much for sharing all of this um so we have quite a lot of questions here and how do you want to do this wow this is a lot amazing <laughs> okay so you're already interested in this which is great okay. you maybe want to pick your favorite ones and we start with that or maybe also the ones that got the most votes which we can see on the right with a little triangle so i can see one here for example with not with 11 votes should we maybe start with that one yeah sure so what user analytics tools would you most recommend for a b2c startup to direct product decision making good question um so I've used a lot of different tools. If you're like using web-based products, then something like 
obviously Google Analytics is your bread and butter. You've also got stuff like Hotjar um, or any other type of application where you can see where users are interacting. You get heat maps with Hotjar, don't you? You can record the screen. You can see where users are clicking. The amount of bugs that I found on Grabber Gardener, um, and you can see as well, like on the on the hero image on Grabber Gardener, there's this purple flower, and it doesn't even stand out in my mind. And when I looked at the heat map, it was just getting constantly clicked, even though there was no like CTA there. Um, so Hotjar, I think Depop, <clears throat> we have been using Mixpanel, which is you know really really good. It's really really versatile. Um, it's great for mobile applications. I think in the case of Depop, probably we've started to outgrow that now. Um, as we're starting to need different data sources um, and from different areas. And so we actually, you know, build, we've got our in-house stuff. Um, but, and there's, there's, there's other applications like, um, I think it's called Full, Full Story um, for mobile apps where you can record what users are doing. Um, and anything where you can measure like conversion funnels, which Hotjar does, Mixpanel does, um, and you can see where users are dropping off on a given flow. So some, some, those are some. Thank you. Let's choose the next one that also has quite a lot of votes. Um, so the question is from Iman. I hope I pronounced that correctly. The question is, what is the best way to get into product management without previous experience? Well, that's an excellent question. Um, so I would say there's lots of different online courses that you can do that will teach you the basics about product management. Um, product managers will typically come from typically come from like two different backgrounds and you, you kind of have the spectrum of product managers, which is either the highly technical product manager that will have been an engineer and, and gone through various engineering roles and moved into product management, or you have the more commercial one, which may have come from founding your own business or maybe a sales operations type role. Um, and then you kind of have the blend of, of both of them. So you can do a lot of online courses. I say that's a really good thing you can do. Um, I say one thing, that you can do is like if you've just been on, uh, if you've been taking, built a website with Lawagon, then that is a perfect case study that you can kind of walk through with someone who's interviewing you around. This is a pro this is a product that I've built. This is how I've approached the situation. This is how I built the roadmap. This is how I built my MVP. Um, and it's, it's actually really, really useful if you're applying for like junior product manager roles, I would say, to just have. Um, any situation where you've managed something uh, and a website is an ideal situation for that. Um, and, then, and then you can use that. And then once you kind of join as a kind of associate product manager or junior product manager, um, you can just work your way up from there. So yeah, online courses and build your own project. I think there's another question here from Rebecca that fits in quite nicely with the last one. Um, and it is, do you get involved in hiring a Depop and can you give any tips to people looking for the first job in tech? Yeah, uh, yes, I do. I regularly will interview uh, other product managers. Um, so, I mean, if you, for tech in general, I would say you need to be, and the sort of people that I would want to hire is you've got to have a lot of well, startups, for example, you've got to have a lot of initiative, a lot of get up and go, and go a lot of creativity. You've got to think outside the box. Um, working in a startup at any level is going to be like, it's not going to be your typical nine to five. It's going to be a lot of work. And you're going to have to be like a jack of all trades, no matter what role you do. So you need to be able to show that you're versatile, flexible, and you've got a lot of willingness to basically try anything and, and a lot of initiative because in a startup 
quite often you're not going to have the types of resources where you'll be able to be trained on the job necessarily. And so you need to be that proactive type of person. Um, the product roles, um, you're basically assessed as a product manager purely on the impact that you deliver. So when you're talking to uh, potential interviewers, um, always relate back every single product strategy that you have. And if you're talking about different features, talking about different apps, talking about be very data driven, you know, talk a lot about metrics um, and talk a lot about how you prioritize stuff essentially based on impact. Because as I was saying earlier, you can only build so many things and you have to, as a product manager, you have to choose the right thing to build that's going to deliver the most value to your users and to the business. And that's always going to be based around impact. So that's what I'd say. Thanks for the tips. There's some people asking here about the remote working at Depop. Can you elaborate a bit on that? Yeah, sure. So um, it's been a <clears throat> super volatile time for all businesses. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a crazy period we're in. Depop, again, being a startup, um, being very agile in the way that it manages um, its, its, its business and, and, and the people that work for Depop, we were able to adapt to remote working like pretty easily. Um, most people will always have days when they're working from home anyway. Um, I, think, I think one of the biggest strains is just like the relentless Zoom or Skype calls or whatever with people uh, and not seeing so many people face to face. Um, as, a, as a business, Depop has, has obviously been affected, but not quite as badly probably as some other businesses in other areas like transportation and, and, uh, and travel and, and those sorts of sectors. I think uh, e-commerce is, 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 has done okay for now but like that's not to be optimistic at all because hopefully you know things will continue to will, will start to get better but you need to like just be realistic about looking into the future um so for now it's been yeah it's been impacted similarly to probably other businesses but it's, it's doing okay it's doing fine sam asked another question as well um that is about depop and bringing new buyers to the platform do you think you can answer one more from him what what was the question specific? The question is, what is the best way you found to bring new buyers onto the site? I also have a marketplace platform, which is B2B. So looking for any tips in growing my buyers. Yeah. So I would say it depends. If, so when you look at new, new buyers, uh, these are obviously new users. They, you can obviously speak to existing users and understand like what, what they enjoy about your product and kind of apply that into your logic. But when you're looking at new user improving kind of sign up flows and things like that, new users are completely different and they're very hard to research because they don't, they don't exist on your platform yet. And so you need to find ways that you can get brand new people and like test different areas of your product with them and, um, and kind of tweak the product for a new user when you're looking at sign up and top of funnel stuff and make sure that that filters into um, your existing users as well. So I'd say user testing, user research, trying to gather as much information about what the existing buyers are doing as possible. Um, yeah, and then just I, you know, run a lot of experimentation and look at ways, analyze as many different funnels as possible. Like when you're looking at the, the buyer, when you explore the current buyer journey, like where do they start? How do they hear about you? What's the messaging they're getting? Is it organic? Is it paid? When they come into your product or service, is the is the theme of the creative or the message they've had similar to their landing experience as they go through the landing experience have you analyzed the drop off here um are, you, are they getting the right messaging the right context do they even understand what your business is between your home page or your home app screen 
all the way into getting into the product. When they land in the product, what are they thinking? Do they know exactly what it is? Do they need any tool tips, guidance, or promoting like where they should go in the product? Um, and then just kind of test and iterate on that. But it's all about speaking to your users and understanding what's working, I think. Yeah, I think that's something that interests more people who are in the audience right now, because there's another question from Sanjev who's asking, um, what are some of the strategies you use at Depop to improve user experience? What ones help the most with the growth? And I mean, I guess you answered that already partially in, in the reply before, but do you have anything to add here? Um, so in terms of user experience, was that last one? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, we're pretty fortunate because, you know, we have 18 million users. We have a top seller community, which we speak to regularly. They, they come into the office. We talk to them. We have a whole team who just have, like build up relationships with the sellers. We have the, the top seller program where we help our sellers um, become better sellers on Depop. And so we have a lot of interaction with our users. Um, something that we've started to integrate into the product development lifecycle more recently is uh, an avid culture of, of user testing, and it couldn't have come soon enough. It's revolutionized everything. You can, when you're constantly speaking to users, you can constantly get feedback. If you can do high fidelity mock-ups of a particular feature, use something like Envision to show like how you can click and how you can go through the screens. You can do that quite easily without actually having to build the product. And you can get amazing feedback from the users um, straight away. And without building things, you can you can learn a lot um, before committing engineering time to actually delivering them. So yeah, speak, speak to your users. Thanks. Um, I can see that we're really running kind of low on time now. Should we maybe do two more questions that, that work for you? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's fine. Okay, perfect. So maybe this one from Anna, who's asking, what's the best thing about working at Depop and perhaps something not so good about Depop or something you struggle with about working there? Um, I'd say the, the best thing about um, working at Depop is, as I mentioned earlier, like what, what we're actually doing for the community in terms of helping our buyers find unique items, helping our sellers become entrepreneurs, I think is an absolutely incredible mission for the business um, and we have this um, like amazing community that is so passionate about the product and, and the platform um, that it's just really really exciting to be able to help help the whole community um, find what they want or, or sell what they want i think the, the growth of depop has been absolutely staggering that was something i was really looking for having run my own business um, that was you know growing pretty nicely but not not as much as i wanted it to i wanted to move into something where we kind of had pretty staggering growth and, and Depop's had this really strong organic growth. Um, I think it's increased by like 5 million users in the 12 months that, that I've been there. Um, and you, you get to come to work every day with some really amazing, like super talented people. And I think that's one of the best things about working in a startup. Um, probably one of the things that is less favorable is probably with it, like the same with any startup, you get a lot of, you know, you can have, uh, a change in direction quite quickly. I used to do it to people at Grabakovna, <laughs> and sometimes you can be working on one thing, heading in one direction, and uh, you know we never completely 180. But you have to be you have to be very adaptable working in any startup, really. And you, yeah, you have to be prepared to invest effort in things, and then sometimes change direction. And that's just part and parcel of growth. It's part and parcel of like understanding your users, understanding your business. And it's, it's an inevitable outcome of a company that's constantly iterating and constantly learning. Um, and as a result of that, you'll constantly learn as well. So 
Yeah. So it sounds like Depop, although it's growing so fast, still has retained that startup culture, which is which is surely fun. Great. Well, thank you so much, and I'm sure I can also thank you from all the Lewagen students um, who are listening and learning so much in this hour. Um, yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening to Lewagen Live. Tune in next week for another episode. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe by hitting the subscribe button.